0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: A few years ago, I had the the opportunity to visit um, Cape Town in South Africa and to visit Robben Island. Many of you might have been there before where Nelson Mandela was held in a, a tiny cell for almost 20 years. It was amazing learning about his story and the struggle uh, that South Africa went through, particularly through the era of apartheid, and then and, the, and still the struggles after it. It's to see what ultimately his goal was as he eventually went from terrorist to prisoner and then to. Uh, to president of a nation, his goal wasn't to, to beat the other side. He didn't want to kind of win and someone else lose. It wasn't a zero-sum game he was fighting. He made it super clear that when he took office as, as uh, president of South Africa, that his goal was to bring the nation together. To bring national unity, he wasn 't out to say, well, now that you know we 've been subjected for so many years under the most atrocious and demonic system you could imagine. he said, no we don 't want to push it back on you because now we 're in charge and you 're down below that 's not what their goal was. In fact, he proved this by establishing one of the most remarkable things called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and the goal of this is in the title the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. he wanted to reconcile the, the nation together with all of its varied views and politics and histories. Some were victims, some were the perpetrators. Wherever it was, he understood this nation was so divided. And now that he had the chance of being in power, it wasn't just make the other side on top now. He wanted to bring, and it's a difficult thing to do, but ultimately his goal was to bring the world together, at least bring his, his nation together. And because he understood something that I think intrinsically, and this is where this whole series Undivided has come from, intrinsically that we all know, the world is very, very complex. It's not simple. And for us to take a tone where we would simply write off someone else's opinion or idea as this or that, and to use kind of one-dimensional, closed-off, zero-sum terms, I think is oversimplifying the world, because the world is extremely complex. And not only did Nelson Mandela understand this idea when he wanted to bring (laughs) his nation together, he realized that you can't just deal in terms of black and white, in and out, right or wrong, it's much more complex than that. And not only is the world complex, isn't it true that people are complicated? Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, look in the mirror. <laughs> we're a complicated, interesting group of people. Yeah. People are complicated. And it's often these complications that lead to divisions, but I think and we're to where I'm hoping to land this series today. That in understanding these complications, maybe it can go at least one step further in helping us to bridge the divide that seems to be growing bigger and bigger in our world today, particularly where it stands for us as followers of Jesus. And uh, as I dive into it today, I just want to say a couple of things about this idea. Not only people are complicated, but but life is complicated. And uh, I just, on a personal note, want to take just a moment to uh, say thank you to you as a church for how you have loved my wife and I through the birth of our new baby, because any parent here understands that when there's a newborn, life gets very, 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 say it with me, complicated. So we figured now's a good time to introduce you to our brand new little girl. Sweetheart, do you wanna bring up, this is little Noah Eden Gulo. Welcome her to the stage with her lovely mother. Here she is. Her
0: second day, age nine go for it now oh perfect now it's on uh hello my name is noah it's her second sunday at church which is very exciting for us to be able to introduce her to you all and um so her her name actually can i say this because i've had a few people ask me because no one's really heard of it for a girl before i know you've all heard it for a boy um but it's actually not the it's not the boy's name just like we'll just adapt that to a girl it's actually a girl name it's a hebrew name she's very um Jewish, because her middle name is Eden, which is after my grandmother. So she's a little Jewish baby, I think. So her name is Noah, the girl version of it. It's actually a really cool story in numbers. So strong girls in there of the family. So, very
1: honestly, um, this is only our second kid, and it's the second time we've ever. Last able to... kid.
0: <laughs> he said only. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> Last night, I was literally like, how do people do this more than twice? I can't do this again. <laughs> I don't know. The sleepless nights. And Stephen, no matter how much you love them, it still isn't awesome. <laughs> Complica-
1: it's complicated It's
0: complicated.
1: So I meant my point of saying that it's only <laughs> a second time is it's only the second time we've been able to just kind of be um, members of Suncoast yeah. without having to you know, be the pastors here. But if we haven't met you, if you're new here, we're the pastors. Who are these? We're the pastors. Jonathan and Chloe. Yeah. So... Um, and it just blows our mind, your generosity, your kindness. It's unbelievable. And to think, you know, I know that happens, you know, not to, it happens for everyone in the life of the church. At least that's our, our goal and I hope is to love people through the complications in life. And, you know, when people have kids, when people have sick kids or when yeah. people have a wayward child, it can be really complicated. And the way I just want to, we wanted to honor you as a yeah. church for how, You love people through the complicated seasons in life. Life can be complicated, and I think one of the things that makes this church community super, super rich and generous and deep is not necessarily how we do our Sunday environments, how we do our everyday environments, how you love people in their everyday life is a song that Andrew just sung there. So. Honestly, just as church members, we want to say thank you, keep doing it. I always love it when
0: it says, you know, it takes a village, and we love being a part of this village to raise our children. And it's such a healthy community for us to be a part of, no matter what we're going through, whether it's good, bad, you know, positive like the birth of a baby or sometimes negative stuff. It's such a healthy community for every season of life, and we get to experience that firsthand. It just blows us away, and we're like, oh, my gosh, we not only just get to be a part of this community, but we get to pastor it, so it's such a privilege. So thank you so much for helping us as your pastors as well raise kids And be senior pastors raising kids, yeah, and yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's complicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is.
1: And, look, and the thing is, our community is getting larger, and I know we've got people watching from all over the place today online. Um, and today at our Canberra, we have a really exciting announcement today. Today at our Canberra location, Impact Church, um, it is being announced on campus. So they're there right now. We're here right now. Uh, we're announcing the location passes for Impact Church. So we're excited to let you know. Uh, many of you will know them. Some of you might have just heard of their names, or some of you might not know at all who they are. But the location passes beginning in January 2021 are Caleb and Eleanor Reed. So there you go. So, congratulations, guys. They're at the service today. A um, little brother and sister, Cameron and DeMelza, yeah, they're with them. Obviously,
0: Caleb's been part of this community all oh, well, since he was a baby, you know, school, going up through a youth community here, and then he found this amazing wife, Eleanor. And uh, so it's just been so fortuitous and so amazing to have them in this role uh, at Canberra. And so they are so excited to uh, get into it, get stuck into it. It's awesome as well. They live in New South Wales, so they can actually travel to Canberra, (laughs) unlike the rest of us here, which are a little (laughs) bit stuck out of it for a while. So they're down there today, um, but they're just so excited. And uh, we can't wait to see what they're going to do down there. Correct.
1: Thank you, darling. Thank you, Noah. You guys are awesome. I love you very much. We can clap them as they leave. I don't know. What do we do? We didn't work through that transition. So... um, and hey, you know, um, if I talk at a thousand miles an hour, it's because I haven't spoken publicly for a month. So sorry, um, but also we got to what It was cool just watching online services. Uh, and I really wanted to thank uh, some of the guys who filled in, particularly um, Dan Willis and Garth Reed, who were both uh, elders in life of this community. And we listened to their online messages, and they both said in the introductions, you know, we're the fill-in guys. You know, like Jonathan. But as you will now see how awesome they are, they are certainly not filling guys by any count. They are the guys that Chloe and I turn to for prayer, for counsel, they, they cover our lives and they're part of our great team of elders here and I really wanted to honor them and thank you because they are actually awesome. They are not the backup guys, they speak into the life of this community every day even when they're not on platform. So I wanted to appreciate you guys here for that. Anyway, yeah, thank you guys. So, okay. so, so as I was saying, life can be complicated. People can be complicated. In fact, I remember when Facebook was getting off the ground and had like the relationship status there. And I remember the day they introduced one of the statuses you could put up. Do you remember what it was? Thank you, sweetheart. It's complicated, right? Anyone in a marriage like that right now? No, don't put your hand up. Someone's getting ribbed right now. That's us, you know. but we, we all laughed at that. We went, that's actually probably a good definition of like the state of my relationship. It's, it's, it's complicated. Now, that's not only true of romantic relationships. It's true of all relationships. There's, there's nuances. Things are complicated. They aren't always easy and in and out, black and white, right or wrong. Things can be complicated. That's why I think it's remarkable that when Jesus taught, when Jesus shared a whole lot of parables about life in the kingdom of God, he often used agricultural terms or horticultural terms um, rather than mechanical terms, if to understand that our dynamic as people are less like machines and more like a garden, right? You, you know, with a machine, here's, you know, if you ever tried, to, well, this is the best I've got machine machines that go with an Ikea product, right? Allegedly, if you, you know, you follow the manual, you put things in, put things in it'll work, arguably, okay? Depends who's doing it. But... But, you know, who knows that no relationship is like that. You know, I read the book on marriage, I did what it said, she's not behaving how I thought she would behave, whatever it might be, right? Because we're your people, we're complicated, we're more like gardens. You know, you can be watering something, doing everything right, and it's just not growing, or you can be doing nothing right, and it seems to be flourishing, and there's season, things grow, things shrink, things die, things shoot off, you have to prune, right? So we're back from like gardens, and I think Jesus understood that complicated Dynamic. And then you think of someone like Nelson Mandela or our our leaders today, right? We all have our opinions. Why is the government doing this? They should open the borders. Now they should close the borders. Now they should open them, right? It's complicated. So not only is it complicated trying to interrelate with one another, okay? People are complicated, but the world's complicated. Imagine trying to lead people. That's why I have no problem with actually paying our politicians a decent wage, because I'm like No one envies your job, right? And we have some politicians in our church, and I have the utmost respect for the way you serve our community and lead us. Thank you so much, guys. Um, In fact, there's one particular account which is spoken in in complicated times, at least spoken to my heart. I'm hoping today it's going to speak to yours, too. About what to pray to to God when things are complicated. And there's one national leader, King Solomon, who was the third king of the ancient state of Israel, There was King Saul, King David, who many of you will be familiar with, and then King Solomon. When King Solomon took the throne of Israel, the nation actually wasn't that complicated. His father, David, was one of the most remarkable kings who had ever lived, and under his leadership, all the enemies had been subdued. So Solomon took the throne, and he was like, i got peace everywhere. We're rich, we're wealthy, we're at peace. Talk about a sweet time. You know, it's like, no GFC, then, you know, uh, there was no 9-11, actually, I'm going through back history now, there's always gonna be something. I don't know when life's always been complicated, right? So, but except for when Solomon took the throne, he gets there. Now he hadn't even been raised as king. He wasn't the eldest son, he never predicted he was going to be king, but needless to say, he was elevated to the throne. And then he had an encounter with God. God appeared to him in a dream. Imagine if this happened to you. And uh, God had said, I will give you anything you want. And we would look at the prayer he prays in. This is remarkable. This is what he asked, as he takes the throne in peaceful times, uncomplicated times, and here is his prayer. He said to God, your servant, talking about himself, is here among the people that you have chosen, a great people. Like there's so many people on the planet, right? Too numerous to count or to number. And people are complicated. This is his prayer. He said, so give me, give your servant a discerning heart. In other words, he's saying, would you give me wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish, notice this, to distinguish between right and and wrong. Now what I find remarkable, can we have the, uh, the upcoming slides? Just helps me to see where I'm going. Um, imagine for a moment that you're in Solomon's shoes. What would you be praying? Okay, you take the throne. You get the chance to ask God anything. And, and Solomon prays a prayer. He says, I'm asking for a discerning heart. I'm asking for wisdom to navigate the people I'm leading. He avoided the easy prayer. He didn't simply pray for a lighter load, or for things, this is interesting, he didn't pray for things to be less complex. (laughs) He prayed for the wisdom to navigate the world that is. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed that? When your life is complex, how easy do we turn to a simple prayer, like get rid of the complexities, get me out of here. But but Solomon recognized he's in deep, and we are all in deep. And so rather than praying for an escape route, he said, God, I need wisdom, (laughs) how to navigate the complexities that are. And then, this is how God replies to him. Next slide. So, now, if you're a Jesus follower here, and I understand we have people from all walks of life, you might be watching online or in the building today, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Jesus follower, let alone even maybe whether you believe in God or not. But if you are a believer in God, lean into this, because this gives us an insight into what God is like. It says, the Lord was pleased. This is what pleases God. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, and here's God's reply. He said, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but you have asked for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. And I find this amazing. Solomon didn't ask for everything to be ruled in his favor, Nor did he ask for things to go against his enemies. He prayed for discernment about what is right. Now think of this. Let me paraphrase. He didn't pray. He could have prayed this. He didn't say. He said, I don't want to be proven right, nor do I want to prove another wrong. My prayer is that I would be able to do what's right and to know what's right. Did you catch that? So here's my question. Are we more concerned with being proven right, or are we more concerned with knowing what is right? There is a huge difference, am I right, where we can have our view or our stance, and our prayer or our goal can be to be proven right, that people will see my view and my take on this. And when everyone has that stance, it's where division comes from, right? But what Solomon prayed for wasn't that he would be proven right and that he would be successful or he didn't even pray that his enemies would be proven wrong his prayer is that he would know what is right so he would be able to do what is right and i wonder if you and i in whether it's division whether it's how we view the world and the different viewpoints of the world or how we interrelate with people are we more concerned in our life with being proven right with someone seeing things how i see them and i'm just going to work hard for people to see how i see it, but that's what we see from solomon Solomon taking the position of leader, his prayer wasn't that people get in line and obey him and see things how he sees them. He prayed for the ability to know what is right. He prayed for wisdom. I remember when I was, I was radically confronted with how important this differentiation is, when I was about 18 years of age, I was invited to a, a young leaders' gathering it was a secular gathering uh, in Canberra, and I got to go to Parliament House and hear from a whole lot of different politicians, and there's one day a whole bunch of us in this room, and we got to hear from the Prime Minister at the time. It was an amazing moment, really inspiring, but the thing that really uh, stuck with me was the next speaker, who was the opposition leader at the time. And he gets up, and his opening line caught everyone off guard. His opening line was this. I'm a Christian. And this wasn't a Christian gathering by any means, and why it caught everyone off guard was because the prime minister at the time was quite open about his faith, about his Christianity. And no one ever associated the opposition leader with being a man of faith, or let alone a Christian. And so his opening line to this group of uni students was, I'm a Christian. And he proceeded to express one of his frustrations about this tension we're pointing out here. He said, Because the Prime Minister, this is what the opposition leader said, he said, because the Prime Minister is open about his faith, I don't display my faith out there publicly. It's something I live every day in my life and at work. I don't just simply shout it in front of the cameras. He said, but because the Prime Minister is overt about it, everyone who's Christian or who who wants to hold a Christian point of view, because the Prime Minister is open about his Christianity, they just quickly assume that his view is the Christian view. And because I'm often in opposition to his view, they assume that my view is the anti-Christian view. But he's saying I'm a Christian. And it's my Christianity that drives my conviction to number 1 serve you as your opposition leader and before God to run my role with integrity. My job is to hold the Prime Minister and the government to account. So my job isn't to prove the Prime Minister wrong and to prove me right. My job before you and before God is to find out what is right. And if the Prime Minister is onto something that I believe is right, I'll support him. But if he's onto something I think is wrong, I'll call him out. Because my role before God isn't to prove Him right and me wrong, or me right and Him wrong. It's to find out what is right. And his frustration was that people just quickly throw labels on things and quickly side with the view or side with the stance. And because he's the Christian, therefore, that's the Christian, he goes, "How is my view any less Christian? It is my Christianity that has shaped my conviction to find out what is right, than just proving whether or not I am right and He's wrong." Do you get what I'm saying? Right? So, do you get what I'm saying? Hey, I, I knew you would because you're smart, much smarter than my ability to communicate my point. So, so here's the tension, but here's my point: when we are more concerned with being proven right than we are with knowing right, the problem with that is it will ultimately lead us to being super judgmental of others. When we are more concerned about being proven right than then really knowing, well, hang on, what is right? Just because it's my stance, it doesn't mean it's right. When you're more concerned with being proven right, we've seen this a million times, you might have been at the receiving end of this, and hopefully not, but we can do it, be on the giving end of this. We become super judgmental of others, and then it leads to something worse. We can then become intolerant of others. And ultimately, that can lead to the worst thing, which would be becoming unloving of others. Don't mishear me, because this is what often happens in our culture. We use the term others and their view interchangeably. And I would encourage all of us, if there's a view that you don't agree with, you can be intolerant of a view without being intolerant of a person. You can be critical of a view without judging the person. You can hate an idea and love a person. Now, that might sound super complicated, and unfortunately, the language and the tone of our mainstream and our culture doesn't allow much margin for that anymore. But I'm encouraging you, okay, don't get your cues from culture. Get your cues from Christ, okay? You are able to point out the difference between someone's view and someone's value. And they are two massively different things. Because let me tell you this, our views change. Your value never changes. Your value in the eyes of God is immovable. But yet our views can change like the tide and change like the seasons, right? Your value in the eyes of God is not dependent upon your view. And likewise, my view should never get in the way of me loving you. And it would be a tragedy if we allow opposing views, and if you're a Jesus to follow here, lean in, okay? It'd be a tragedy. Just go if you watch online. You can't just tune out here, okay? Our view should ne- on any issue should never get in the way of us loving a who. We can have deferring views. And can I say, this is what I applaud about this community and what we're building here. It's not easy, but we're doing it. I know in this congregation here, we don't all have the same views on stuff. Can I just say, That is awesome, because the mainstream doesn't know how to live in unity with different views. And the the gap is getting wider and wider. As Jesus follows, we should be able to show the world what it is, to not agree on everything, but still get along. It's very quiet in here, okay? Let me put it to, yeah, thank you, laughter. Um, Let me put it to in simple terms. I love that in this, right here this morning, sitting here and watching online, we have people here who will vote One Nation and people here that will vote the Greens. That put it for you in simpler terms? Okay? And I love that. Because your view does not determine your value. Whether you have peace with God or not doesn't determine your political views, your view of the things. Now, now, I know I'm opening a whole lot of doors, and I hope so, because this is complicated. It's nuanced. It's not easy. We can't put it in tight little boxes. And This is messy. People are complicated. You don't even understand your view most of the time. You know how I know that? Because your view has changed. Think about your view on an issue 20 years ago. Has it changed? Think of a view. You change. We change. We are complicated. And (laughs) I, I don't know how you, you you find this. I like know when you go through something that maybe you've never been through before, a new experience, I know we're all going through a new experience right now, our views tend to be malleable, or at least they should be. You might have had a stance and viewed a particular issue as black and white and you will have your King James Bible there to prove your point and you'll have chapter and verse, right? And then that thing that you were so critical against happened to you. And then your view might not have been so black and white. It might have Got a little gray. Give you a basic example, right? Pre-kids, which has been a theme this morning. My view of time was as such. <laughs> My value of time was as such. Yeah. I've got all the time in the world. I have a kid. I've got no time, right? Because I go through something new. And your value changes. It doesn't become black and white anymore. Maybe you had a view, maybe you had a stance or something, and then it was your kid and it was no longer an an idea that you were criticizing, your kid's living it. And all of a sudden, something that you were black and white on, you now have a little bit of grace for. Maybe you were super judgmental, come on, of someone going through something, and you were quick to point out, get your life right, and then it happened to you. Our views change. Life is complicated. And the beauty of this whole thing is, Jesus is right in the middle of all our complications. Jesus is in our complications. Can we go to the next slide? Just to hammer home my point. Is it working? Thumbs up? Okay, it's not working. Okay, the, the slide was Jesus is in the complications. So there you go. He's in the complications. And this is why As the followers of Jesus, it is super important that we recognize that we don't have to deal in language that our media dishes out or culture dishes out where it's dividing lines in or out. You're with us, you're against us. You know, if you don't agree with this, you're this, and labels, don't play those games. Do not play by the games of the world's culture. Jesus instituted different rules and different values, and he allowed room for grace in the middle of all the complications. In fact, there's one story I want to look through today. Maybe we'll get the story up. If not, I'm going to go old school and read it to you from my iPad. Anyone have a Bible here I can read from? Bring it up, Karen. I need it because I don't have the whole scripture here. Give Karen a big clap as she brings me a Bible. (laughs) You're awesome. What version is it? Oh, that's what I read. You're awesome. Thank you. Okay. Um, oh, these are good notes. You, got, you read this. This is good. You know what they say? Ah, oh, it's back. The, the guy that got it sorted. Karen, you can take it back now. You can read from it. You know what they say, Karen? They say a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life is not. So. There's the. Christian Insta post there for you. Okay. Okay, so (laughs) oh my goodness. Sorry, if you're new to church, I'm so sorry, the joke you totally won't get, but we're glad you're here. So so Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the epicenter of religion in ancient Israel. I mean, it was the tension there constantly was palatable. You had all your religious leaders. I mean, this wasn't just some synagogue somewhere out in the outskirts, this was the temple. The law, right? It's written on the tablets of stone. we mere meters away from where Jesus was right now, in the ark, right? So Jesus rocks up, and in this atmosphere where it's like the religious center point of ancient Israel, we find Jesus teaching, and this situation pops up. So the teachers of the law, keep in mind, the law was written, and it was literally the Ten Commandments written in stone were meters away. So they go to Jesus the teacher of the law, and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were one of the ruling religious classes at the time. They brought in a woman who was caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, I've got questions, but we'll just move on, okay? And this is what they said to Jesus. In the law, keep in mind the law was just over there. You know that law Jesus that's there, that our whole nation's been built on? In the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. She is wrong. She is deserving of death. So what do you say? Pick your side, Jesus. Draw your line. Are you with us or are you against us? What do you say? And this tension here is exactly what we find in our world today. And here it's the law, but we could easily translate that to religious thinker or even world culture today. What you have to understand is the law cannot differentiate between your faults and your worth. Let me say that again. The law, religion, and mainstream culture struggles to differentiate between your faults. And this woman clearly had a fault. But it struggles to differentiate between your fault and your worth. But what Jesus showed us is that our value in the eyes of God, and I'm grateful for this, is not dependent on our performance. Okay, our value in the eyes of God is not dependent on our performance. But unfortunately, this is so much the tone of the times that we live in, which deals in black and white. You're either right or you're wrong. You're either in or you're out. You're with us or against us. It's us or them. And here's my point. Our culture, the world, when I use the term, the world, I'm referring to the mainstream. Our culture, com- popular thought. The world deals in right and wrong. But the kingdom that Jesus instituted deals in grace and truth. Okay? You've got to get this. This is super important. It's not neat. It's complicated. And we'd like to think it's neat. And our culture likes to think it's neat. If you, don't, if you vote for him, you're a this if you don't vote for them, you're a this. We deal in right and wrong. Can I say, don't play by those rules. I just want to tell you, if, just stop it. Because that leads to the division that we see getting bigger and bigger. But if you're someone who wants to do more than just light a candle and sing a song like Kumbaya and we all come together, you've got to live this out. You've got to stop playing by the rules of right versus wrong. Because Jesus instituted instituted a kingdom that deals in grace and truth. Yes, truth. And truth, fundamentally, as Jesus taught it, deals in what is right and wrong. What is true and what's false. But Jesus didn't just come in truth. He came also with grace. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful that Jesus came with grace because I need it. And you know what? You need it. We need it. And while the world is more concerned with your view than they are of you, the kingdom Jesus initiated is more concerned with you than it is your view. Isn't that cool? But here's the thing you are complicated. You know this I know this It's why we hate it when people are so quick to judge us Don't you hate it when someone Box you in and gives you a label That ah you're one of those people Don't you hate that Don't you hate it when someone might label you Because of your race Or your gender Or your age All men are this All women are that All people above this or that Below that If you're from there We hate that don't we we hate when people deal in terms of black and white, in or out. Because you know that you have a story. You know that you have layers. <laughs> and you know that you're complex. You know that. You know that. You're smart. And you've lived in your shoes a long time, longer than anyone else has lived in your shoes. But you know what we forget? Too often. is While we know that we're complicated, you're complicated, I'm complicated, what we forget is that people are complicated. Everyone is. Do you know that everyone right now is going through something difficult? Everyone. And we can't always deal with, uh, you know, when we, we, we compare or compare to that person and, and you know... Because what you're going through is what you're going through. You're not going through what someone else is going through. You're going through what you're going through. And what you're going through is tough. Everyone's going through something. We can all be experiencing joy in one part of our lives and be struggling with grief in another. We can be maybe physically healthy, but we could be mentally ill. We all have histories We all have our unique families. We all have a culture that we come from. And we're all raised in our own unique environments. All these and more contributed to making us the complex and complicated creatures that we are. At any given time, any one of us can be secretly or quietly suffering with guilt. And our next series that we're kicking off the week after Father's Day, so Father's Day next weekend, and then there's a next series called Guilt Free, and you're gonna love it. Let's make sure you're there. But we can all be secretly struggling at one point or another with guilt, maybe shame, or even embarrassment. You're complicated, but I'm asking you to remember this people are complicated, and when we are quick to draw lines, put people in boxes, in and out, us versus them, black versus white, you're forgetting very thing that you expect others to remember about you. In fact, there was a remarkable, many of you have heard this, a remarkable psychological study to prove this point. It was done by a psychologist named Emily Pronin, and she, her study was called The Illusion, Illusion of Asymmetric Insight. So what she did, she played a word game. She got a whole lot of clients, put them all in separate rooms, about 20 people, and gave them all pieces of paper with words, but the words were incomplete, and they all had to fill in the missing you know, letters in the words, whatever they thought. And each of these words could have had multiple outcomes. For example, it could have been a five letter word, and the only letters it has was O-U-G-H. So it could have been tough, rough, cough, I think I spelled them right. Anyways, right, so, and so everyone had to fill out the, the form their own way. And so they had a whole bunch of words there, and then the psychologist would sit with each person after they filled in all the, blank pa- all the blank spaces in each word, and they'd say, look at the words now that you've filled in. What do you think what you've filled out here says about who you are? And the person would read all the words, and there might be like, you know, many of them had like similar patterns, like they could have had a theme running through all their chosen words, but every single respondent said about the words they filled out, they simply said, they say nothing about me, they're just words just the first words that popped to my head. And then she did something remarkable. She got everyone to hand in their pieces of paper with the filled out words and hand them to other people in the group, put them in their little rooms. So they're reading a stranger's piece of paper and the words they filled out and they asked the same questions. They said, what do you think these words say about the person who filled it out? And get this, the same person who said that these word completions don't seem to reveal much about me at all, turned around and said of a complete stranger's result. Well. Judging by what they wrote, this person is clearly a narcissist, or this person is clearly a sexual deviant, or this person is clearly a bigoted, hateful person. Everyone was completely clueless to the overt contradiction they were all trapped in, right? And don't we do this? We think we can easily judge and see into the hearts of others based on the flimsiest of clues. You hear one view that a person has, or you see a person on one bad day, and we jump at the chance to judge strangers. But we would never do that to ourselves, of course, because we are nuanced, and we are complex, and there are layers to us. But everyone else, they're easy. I can tell you what they are like just by looking at who they vote for. (laughs) My point is this. We see the gray in our own lives, but we tend to see others in black and white. And we've got to stop playing by those rules. Because this is what the Pharisees did. This is what the most judgmental people of Jesus' day did. And as they brought this woman to Jesus and said, this woman should be stoned. And they're like, well, what do you say, Jesus? Pick your side. Black and white. And Jesus is looking at this woman. Yeah, she's done the wrong thing. But Jesus is looking at this woman with value and worth. And so as they try and badger Jesus and badger Jesus to get him to respond. Here's how he finally responds. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, this is probably one of the best comebacks in all of ancient literature ever. Or modern, for that case, for that matter. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Sure, she's wrong. You're right. And the law says that she deserves to die. So any one of you that are innocent of sin, go right ahead. What's Jesus saying? You're as complicated as she is. You have as many faults as she does. Yours might look different. Yours might fit in to what's popular and acceptable these days, and hers is just unacceptable. You've still got your faults. Jesus was teaching, and he's teaching us, to stop judging people using a yardstick that we wouldn't use against Ourselves. In other words, this is from my heart. Aren't you grateful that when you make a mistake, and like this woman, you're caught in your error and your fault? We all got them. Me, probably more than you. And when we're caught in them and our faults are out there for all to see, aren't you grateful that someone doesn't just write you off as or you're this and you're and forever label you because of a fault. Aren't you grateful when someone shows you grace? Come kind of a show of hands who's grateful when someone shows them grace for their fault here? Yeah. I'm telling you, marriage does not work without it. Chloe and I made a decision when we first got married almost nine years ago. Oh, we're pros. Let me just tell you, right? nine years. We just made a promise could be quickly realized we needed someone to help us get through marriage. So we we're like all the division that our culture sees, you don't have to play by those rules. Follow the Jesus way. We have to have grace for the gray in others. Don't be so quick to label someone. Don't be so quick to put someone in a box because your traditional view has says what those people are like. The same way you are grateful when someone has grace for the gray in your life, I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. Get your cues from Jesus. Have grace for the gray and others. And you know, if we can do that as a church community, if we can do that, for those of you watching online, if we can all do that, and you might not even be a believer in Jesus yet, but you can certainly get involved in this. And if you get involved in this, if we do all that. We will then begin to show the world how to get along with our differences. That just because you're different doesn't mean you have to divide. You can be different and undivided. How do we do it? Showing grace for the gray in others. And let me just be frank, and I'll finish with this. We'll we'll look at how Jesus ends this. But you know what? Particularly if you're a Christian here, you listen to me really carefully about this. It is super weird to think that someone who doesn't believe as you believe, and it's super weird to think that that person would think how you think, or to have a view on something the same way you have a view on something, because if you have encountered the grace of God, we talk about showing grace in others, getting our cue from Jesus. If you have found yourself in the shoes like this woman here, caught red-handed in your sin, caught red-handed in your fault, and come on, and you have, you've encountered the unbelievable grace of God that accepts you in your mess and welcomes you as you are and embraces you with your faults and says that you are valuable and says that you are worth loving and that you can have a second chance. When you have had that experience, of course your view has been radically changed by that experience. You have had the most life altering experience ever. Jesus called it being born again. But yet, we expect people to have the same view as us when they have not even come close to the same radical life changing experience that you have had. You hearing me? So, here's the thing we can't expect to have people to have the same view as you when they haven't experienced the same grace that you have had. You'll never convince someone to see as you do until they've been loved like you have been. So what do we do? We love the world how we have been loved by God. My view should never get in the way of me loving you. And I hope forever, I hope forever we have attention in this community where we have different views and ideas. I hope we've always got meetings and we have to sort out through this. I hope we've always got these things because we've all agreed on number one thing. We're going to love each other and love the world as we've been loved by God. That's why it's our vision statement that we would love like Jesus loves. No wonder then we will build a church that the unchurch love because they won't experience anything like that in the world. It's nowhere else. So Jesus lands it, and I'll land it with his words. So Jesus straightened himself up. After he said that, as you can imagine, all the accused with their rocks in their hands, they left. They dropped their rocks. They walked away. They couldn't debate any longer. Jesus said to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Leave it. Leave your life of sin. What we see here from Jesus' replied to her, this is amazing. Jesus' concern and the goal of the gospel of Christ was never to prove people wrong and prove others right. The goal of the gospel was to change lives. He saw this woman and said, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave the life that was robbing you. Leave the life that was killing you. Leave the life that was destroying you relationships, leave the lives that was leaving you feeling guilty and embarrassed and shameful, leave the life that's ripping you off of your potential, leave your life of sin. My grace, because I don't condemn you, I offer you grace, it gives you now the doorway to leaving the life that was causing you regret and heartache and hurt, let alone the hurt of the people around you, and experience now new life. The law wanted to prove her wrong. Jesus wanted to make her right. Did you catch that? The law wanted to prove her wrong. Jesus wanted to make her right. And again, like Solomon, our goal and our prayer should never be to prove that we are right and others are wrong. Our goal should be, like Jesus, life change to help make people right. Because that indeed is the heart of Jesus. Jesus has grace for the gray in us. And as we finish now, right now, this series, and I'm super grateful that you've hung in there for the last five weeks. And I want to encourage you twofold for the Jesus follow here, for the Christians, a member of Suncoast. Never, never, never forget that Jesus has grace for your gray. The parts of your life that aren't neat, you might think, oh, people in the church knew about this area of my life. We know. It's okay. We've got it too. It's why we're here this was a place for perfect people, you wouldn't have to worry about COVID safe distancing. No one would be here, you know. (laughs) There is grace for the gray in your life. Don't hide it from Christ. He loves you. Don't feel like you have to have it all right and all in and all in the... He's got grace for your gray. His grace (laughs) is because we're gray. (laughs) We all need it. And maybe you need to allow yourself to receive God's grace. Maybe you've been too harsh on yourself. Maybe you've judged yourself too harshly. And maybe that's why you judge others as harshly as well, because you see the faults in your own life. The same way God has grace for them, God has grace for you. He loves you. He's for you. And it's His grace that leads you to leave your life of sin. It's a doorway to freedom. Perhaps here this morning... You've never encountered the grace of God for yourself. And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. And the thing that maybe has kept you from engaging in church, maybe watching online, why you've never stepped foot in a building before, is you thought, man, if people knew, I'd never, the walls would fall in on me. They haven't fallen in, they're fine, they're structurally engineered, they're okay. But the thing is, Jesus gets it. That's why He offers us grace. It's for the gray in our lives. What I'd love to do is lead us all in a prayer today of accepting His grace. You might have prayed a prayer like this hundreds of times. Now's a good time to pray it again a mean it from your heart. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer that has invited Jesus to show you grace. It's a simple prayer. I'm gonna ask you all to repeat it after me. But for some of you, this might be the first time, essentially, you are saying yes to Jesus. You might not have it all figured out. You might feel like you've got so many things wrong in your life. You are only ever one prayer away from being undivided with your Heavenly Father. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me today. So if we could all bow our heads just to create, I guess, an individual moment of privacy for everyone here. And if that is you this morning, you can relate, and you want to be included in this prayer, maybe for the first time, and you today want to make your peace with God. and You've never done that before. Just so I know who I'm praying for, could you just give me a quick wave? I'll see it. You can put your hand straight back down. This morning, you want to be included. Thank you so much, dude. That's so cool. Thank you over there. I saw that as well. Anyone else here this morning? Maybe you've prayed a prayer like this before in your life, and you know today you've got to recommit your life to Christ. <laughs> Maybe you felt like you are following Him once upon a time, but the last few years have gotten complicated, and you need to come back. Anyone like that this morning, you just want to acknowledge it before God that you're praying this prayer. Thank you so much down the front. That is super awesome. God loves you so much. Right? right, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Um, after me. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me of all my wrongs, of all my sin, and offering me new life. Today I accept it. Today I say yes to Jesus. Today I receive grace for the gray in my life. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.